Oh, I'm having one of those days. You know, you, you you wake up and you're not feeling all that great. And then cats are fighting. Pixel, you can't run the whole room. And everyone's yelling at the kids downstairs. Come on, Pixel. You can't. No, you can't run the bedroom. Come on, Shadow. If you're going to come in, saving your life. A whole video topic set up downstairs. But kids being kids. Are you in or out? Are you in or out? Alright, you're out. Alright, I'll close the bedroom door. Not that he doesn't know how to open it, but I'm not gonna babysit the door so he doesn't have my protection. Um and the topic I got on the board is next year's UFA class, which Looks interesting, but I'm sure by the time the UFA class is time to be signed is up, most of them will have signed extensions. That's usually the way it works. Um, but I got to thinking about Seattle and the idea of going to Seattle and the idea of paying your dues. And it's this weird, um, this this weird nebulous concept that fans seem to have that you have to pay your dues to get a Stanley Cup. Well, yes and no. An organization I don't think has to. Because, okay, so we're going to go to a 32-team league. And does that mean you have to wait 30 years to get a cup? Or is it 5, 10? How many? There's a lot of teams waiting for their first. So do they have to get one before the other teams get one? Or at what point is it that a smart GM and and a well-put-together team is allowed to win the Stanley Cup? Because it's such a weird concept to me. Um, 1919-1920. The uh, the NHL was regrouping from what happened in 1918-1919. I'm going from the uh, total hockey book here. The NHL fielded only three teams in the 1918-1919 season, and a 20-game split schedule was drawn up. That's right. Two halves, with the winners of the two halves to meet for the league title. The Montreal Canadiens, led by Newsy Lalonde, were the class of the NHL's first half, posting a 7-3 and record. In the second half of the season, the Senators had won seven of eight games when the season was cut short because the Toronto Arenas ran into financial difficulties and had to withdraw from the league. So... Everybody talks about how Toronto won this Stanley Cup in their first year, but they withdrew from the league the next year. Uh, left with only two teams, the NHL decided to stage a best-of-seven series between Ottawa and Montreal to determine a league champion. The Canadians proved to be surprisingly easy winners of this showdown, taking the first three games and winning the series in five. The NHL championship entitled Montreal to play the Seattle Metropolitans of the Pacific Coast Hockey Association for the Stanley Cup. Reversing the results of the previous season, Seattle had finished second in the PCHA before knocking off the first place Vancouver Millionaires in the playoffs. The Victoria Aristocrats once again missed the playoffs. Don't hear about them, do you? The Stanley Cup finals were played in Seattle, with the Mets taking the opener 7-0. Under Western rules that included the use of the Rover. That's right, six skaters and a goalie. As had happened the year before, alternate games were played under Eastern and Western rules. The series proved hard-fought and evenly matched as each team had recorded two wins and a tie through five games. 
The deciding game was scheduled for April 1st, but the onset of a worldwide Spanish influenza epidemic intervened. Several Canadian players were too sick to continue and the series was abandoned. Canadian star Bad Joe Hall lost his life to illness four days later. It would be the only year that no Stanley Cup champion would be declared. Of course, that got changed after this book was published in 2005 when we didn't have a Stanley Cup champion because people got greedy. And that's something I said yesterday about the Major League Soccer thing. Everybody's like, oh, Major League Soccer is growing huge. Yeah, it's growing really fast. And there doesn't seem to be any plan to it. It's just, let's get it up to 28 teams as soon as possible. And the the danger of that, of course, becomes um, you're, you're growing faster than you should. You may not have all the, the logistics in place to really make that profit. And then on top of that, um, as the league gets bigger, players are going to want more money. And... Um, that's that's going to happen sooner rather than later. It's usually the way it works, anyways. And uh, soccer slash, of course, football for those who are in Europe and the rest of the world. Really, we only call it soccer in North America. Um, really good soccer players are paid exorbitant amounts of money worldwide. So to to attract the best stars around the world, if if Major League Soccer really wanted to go there, yeah, it's going to cost a lot of money. A lot of money. Um, interesting, interesting thing too here is 1919-2020 season. So the NHL regrouping after the Rocky 1918-1919 campaign, which is the one I just told you about. On the eve of the regular season, the Toronto club found new owners, was renamed the St. Patrick's, and rejoined the NHL. So is that an expansion team? They had pulled out of the league before. They just got new owners and a new name. Meanwhile, the Quebec Bulldogs, one of the NHL's founding members, finally exercised its franchise and iced a team. A number of players who'd taken jobs elsewhere returned to Quebec City, most, most notably Joe Malone. Though Quebec would post a dismal 4-20 and record, Malone led the league's top scorer with 39 goals and 9 assists for 40 points, 48 points. Um, I believe this is before you were allowed to um, commit forward passes, though. Yeah, the NHL was different. The, the other thing with this book, too, is it shows how the rink, um, the, the rink itself went through massive changes. Yeah, the, there was just a dot in the middle of the ice, and, and the two goalie nets and all the other lines that we have on the ice now all evolved over time. And it, the other thing I find interesting, too, is I've got these books now on goaltending. And when I'm when I'm reading through in the, the 60s and 70s about goalie masks and how they developed and, and how... How goalie masks were met at first by by coaches and GMs, which was don't wear a mask. Yeah, this this is the this is the idea that uh, it would it would make the game worse somehow. Or goalies don't need masks. Don't be a wuss. And it just reminds me of some of the other conversations we have now, where fans are like, oh well, you can't take head hits out of the game because you know it's just part of the game and don't be a wuss. And yet. While these same people say, "Well, you can't you can't take those out of the game because that's just part of the game." Well, then why do goalies wear masks? Because it used to be goalies didn't wear masks, players didn't wear helmets. Why did we start? And you can't really make the safety argument because you're making the argument that looking out for player safety now is is a wussy thing to do, and it it, it waters down the game. So it's it is a slippery slope. 
Um, the game is much faster now, played by much bigger players than played it back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, you, you need to recognize that, I, th I would think. The game has to change. And, of course, there's people who want to see the nets get bigger. I, I don't. I really honestly don't. I don't think there's any any need for that at all. Well, this was interesting. I wasn't able to come up with a um, an actual video of this. I tried. But... Um, it's an interesting one. Forward lines. So here's some here's some lines with some interesting names. Uh, from the 1940s, the Bacon line for the Leafs. Sweeney Schreiner, Gus Bodner, and Lorne Carr. And it just says underneath, they brought home the bacon. Okie dokie. Um, I had forgotten in the 70s and early 80s, the New York Islanders had a line of John Tonelli, Wayne Merrick, and Bob Nystrom. They called the Banana Line because they wore yellow jerseys in, in uh, practice. Uh, there's another interesting one here. The Brat line was in Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1970s. That would have predated when I watched hockey. Tiger Williams, Jack Valiquet, and Pat Boutet. Then um, they talk about how black aces refers to players who are, you know, practicing but don't actually play during the playoffs. Destruction line, 1995-96 Whalers, Scott Daniels, Mark Janssens, Kelly Chase. The dice line in Calgary was uh, Richard Crom, Kerry Wilson, and Colin Patterson. Dogs of War, which is a great name for a line. Wayne Cashman, Phil Esposito, and Ken Hodge of the Bruins. Uh, they mentioned that a donut line, it's a name used in jest. Any team, any, any era, two talented wingers with a no-name center. A line with a hole in the middle. And I, we've, I've, I've had teams I've cheered for that have had that. Um, the Gabby line, Ray Getliff, Murph Cham Chamberlain, and Phil Watson, Montreal Canadiens 43-44. Dick Irvin called them the Holler guys. And, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Um, helicopter line, a line with a great center and no-name wings, used in jest like the donut line. I haven't heard anybody refer to a line as the helicopter line in a while. Um, has Sidney Crosby played on helicopter lines? I would argue that he has, where he's he's the only guy right in the middle. Uh, the Husky line for the Leafs in the 40s and 50s, Harry Watson, Billy Taylor, and Cal, Cal Gardner. I miss this. I miss <laughs> I miss the good lines, um, the good lines with names. Uh, Lifeline, of course, is is pretty common. It's a pretty common one. Uh, the Canucks had one they called the Lifeline, which was Jeff Courtney, Cliff Ronning, and Trevor Linden. Flyers it was uh, Brian Prop, Pelly Eklund, and Rick Tockett. And for the Leafs, Jim Morrison, Jim Thompson, George Armstrong. And then it said short-lived line for the Leafs as Morrison and Thompson were mainly defensemen. And there are instances, too, in this book where they talk about, um, at least in the goalie stats, they show uh, where defensemen had to go in net because there was no backup, so the goalie would get hurt, and the defensemen would have to go in net. Um Three gun line for Boston, Roy Conacher, Bill Cowley, Eddie Wiseman. Three M line for the Cleveland Barons from 1976 to 1978, Bob Murdoch, Dennis Maruk, and Al McAdam. That's not a bad line considering the Cleveland Barons were a not a not a great not a great line. Uh 1984-85. Um 
Edmonton Oilers had Dave Semenko, Billy Carroll, and Willie Lidstrom. They called it Willie, Billy, and Silly. And apparently the Boston Bruins in 87-88 had a line with the exact same nickname, Jay Miller, Billy O'Dwyer, Billy O'Dwyer and Willie Platt. I don't see the Silly in that one. Sprout line eh, for youth. Speedball line. They mentioned that there's, there's been a ton of kid lines. They get into nicknames now. Nicknames are boring in hockey now. They get into other rival rival leagues too. I, I do. I, I need to do a video on the WHA. I, I really do. Um, and history of countries in the IIHF. I have to be careful, though, because people are going to be like, well, why don't you cover more of that then? Well, it's easy to go through a book and get notes on stuff that happened in the 30s and 40s, which is really kind of cool to look back on. But to talk about the current tournaments that go on, I have to watch those tournaments. Then I have to decide, okay, so what am I going to do with my time? Because this, this doesn't, I don't have more than 24 hours in a day. I need to sleep and eat and have time with my wife and kids. So... I guess I'm not watching the playoffs, and then and then I'm in trouble. The first time that I don't watch the Stanley Cup playoffs and watch a world championship instead, I'm in deep, deep trouble. Um, they even have the Polish League in this book. This is Total Hockey. This is the one from 2003. Um, and they have, like, standings from the 90s for Italy and Poland and Netherlands, Czech, uh when it was Czechoslovakia as well, Austria, Denmark. I can't pronounce most of this. I'm not even going to try. Uh, and even Great Britain. So there's Cardiff Devils, Murrayfield Racers, Nottingham Panthers, Whitley Warrior, Warriors, Bracknell Bees, which I have a jersey for, um, Bellingham or Billingham Bombers, Humberside Sea, sea Seahawks, Fife Flyers, Nor and Peterborough. Well, would that be Northampton? Probably. And Durham Wasps. So, yeah, there you go. A lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun stuff in this book. It's just a matter of going through it and figuring out exactly what I'm going to use. I'm really hoping the kids downstairs get their homework done because I can't. I can't focus on doing videos while they're uh, while I'm not feeling well and they're goofing off. I can't do it. It can't be done. There's the evolution of hockey, evolution of hockey strategy, which I went over with the, the, the video on trapping. They've even got a thing in here about hockey cards. Um, and they talk about the, the Bobby Orr card and it's valued at two grand. Oh, you can get more than two grand for Bobby Orr's card now. You, it, It's insane the amount of money they want for some of those cards on eBay. And honestly, if you don't collect hockey cards and you've thought about it, do it. Get the cheap ones. Don't worry about the expensive ones. Don't worry about what they're worth because, honestly, there's there's not as many collectors now as there used to be. And so even though, yes, you could get a lot of money for uh, some of these cards that are out there, I don't know that you can make a profit. Uh, I was even talking to a comic book dealer here who used to have a card shop, and he doesn't know how they make a profit either. So, I mean... It's hard enough to make profit in comics. I can't imagine how they make a profit in hockey cards. I just can't see it. Like, I could pay 120 bucks to open boxes of Opeachy and, and Upper Deck. But, you know, what? What is what, what am I getting out of it? Um, I'm probably going to get some nice cards. 
But if I sell them, I'll probably get back half of what those boxes were worth, maybe. It's, yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know people that make any profit on it. Hockey discography. All right, this is where I've always complained that there aren't enough hockey songs. So let's just go through these here. Uh, Clear the puck, here comes Shaq. That's not going to be back on the charts anytime soon. And since Eddie Shaq retired decades ago, Pandemonium by Tommy Hunter. I don't know that I've heard it. The hockey song, Stomp and Tom. Yep, that was the year I was born. Raised on Robbery by Joni Mitchell. Signing with the NHL. Bruno Gerusi, 1978. The Ballad of Wendell Clark, part, parts one and two. Hockey Night in Canada theme, 1988. Uh, Big League by Tom Cochran. God, they got to get rid of that song. Um, Hockey by Jane Sibri. Gross Misconduct from the Hanson Brothers album. 50 Mission Cap by Tragically Hip. Yeah, I know. I know. That's where all Canadians are like, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, the Hockey Song by Jughead, 1992. Overtime by DOA. Oh, Rock'em Sock'em Techno, Don Cherry with BKS. Punk Rock Volume 1 Hockey Compilation Album, Gretzky Rocks, Pursuit of Happiness. Bust'em Beat'em by DOA. Sudden Death, Hanson Brothers Album, 1996. They had a Hanson Brothers Album in 96. The Puck Stops Here, Greg Good, Good Godovitz and Andy Kerr in 1996. Give Him the Lumber by DOA in 1998. And... Wow, Punk Rock Classics Volume 2. Compilation album, you don't say. Hockey filmography. What the hell's Batman and Robin doing in here? Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. They qualify that as a hockey movie. Oh, my God. What? Wayne's World 2? What? No, this is really... The Accused from 1988. This is really, really uh, tenuous. The the idea that these are, are hockey movies. I yeah, this is that's. I'm, I'm not even going to go through all those. That's really stupid. Yeah, two pages on table hockey. Talk about computer games, the PC, and then glossary. And you know what? I could always go through the glossary and go through some of the stuff. Because where I try to make sure that, that, that when I do my channel that I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of some others is that I try to make sure that I'm bringing people up to speed. So for somebody who's a new fan, and there's all kinds of terms that they might be like, I, I'd love to ask what this is, but I'm going to look like, a, like an idiot, so I can't say anything. And hockey fans aren't always the most welcoming of new fans. There's sort of a, you should already have learned this. What are you doing asking that stupid question? So, yeah, I could definitely use the glossary here and come up with terms that we all understand as long-term hockey fans that new hockey fans may not understand. And then the, the, the registry, where it has all of the registries. It's just amazing. And then they even have adjusted scoring in here, where they talk about guys who are uh, using adjusted scoring. There are... Um, basically statistical twins. They have Mario Lemieux and Jean Beliveau in here as, as a four-paragraph thing. Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, Cyclone Taylor. All three of them are apparently scoring-adjusted twins. Steve Eiserman, Mac Bent, Max Bentley, Paul Korea, Doug Bentley, Ray, Ray Bork, and Dick Clapper. Like, it's, it's pretty awesome um, that they went through and did all this. But again, 
if I do this, part, part of what happens is I'll do videos on this kind of thing and then people, I'll get like a million other requests, which is fine. It doesn't bother me. But like, here's the top 10 all-time career adjusted points. Remember, this is from before the time of uh, Sidney Crosby. Gordie Howe, 2264. Gretzky, 2207. Um, and that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Oral Joliet, uh, 1743. Howie Warren, 1668. So yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, uh, single season adjusted all-time goals. Babe Die in 1924-25, 140. Adjusted assists, 214 by Cy Denony in 1924-25. This, of course, is including when seasons were like 25 games long. So those numbers are highly suspect. Uh, largest single season declines in winning percentage. The Montreal Wanderers went from an 11-1 record to a 7-9 record. So again, highly, highly suspicious due to the fact that um, it's a totally different era. Uh, when you get to the, the to the minimum forty four game schedule, the biggest decline. Uh, I mean, number four on the list is Detroit. This is from nineteen sixty nine seventy. They went from forty twenty one and five to twenty two forty five and eleven. So they dropped by two hundred and seventy two points uh, in their percentage. They went from a six twenty five winning percent percentage to uh, three fifty three. See, and this is the kind of stuff I read. And then I go downstairs and I do a video about it and I rattle off numbers and people are like, wow, he remembered that. Not really, no. Um, the 84-85 Jets, 43-27-10. and 85-86, they were 26-47-7. Yeah, you don't go, you, believe me, Jets fans, you want the current history of the Jets. You don't want that old history back. You don't need it. It's not that big. It, you don't need it. Those Jets were, were not very good. Changing goals for and against the biggest ever. See, that's that's some fun stuff. That's some list stuff I can do this summer. This is why people say, oh, you're going to run out of stuff to talk about. I'm thinking, no, I'm not. Uh, now here's the, the list of every single player's record in the history of the game, including where they were traded, what they were traded for. Yeah, I, I can't run out of topics. Because remember, all I have to do is just find enough topics to get through the summer. And then in the fall, the games start getting played again. And my intention is to split up the, the the game previews a little bit. So the way I've been doing it during the playoffs, it seems like I get more hits, um, more views definitely, and more uh, comments. So, yeah, I'm not going to have a video of 15 games being previewed or reviewed this season coming up. It'll be more split up. I'm not going to do 15 videos when there's 15 games. But it's not going to be all one video. It may be in, say, three or four videos for preview and three or four videos for review. So I can give a little more detail, that kind of thing. All right, I'm going to shut her off here. I'm going to go downstairs and um, raise my voice a bit and see if I can motivate the boys to get their crap done so I can do some videos today and get everything finished so that uh, I can watch some hockey tonight because that would be nice because, you know, Stanley Cup final and all. Anyways, uh, thank you for listening to me ramble while I'm not necessarily feeling 110%, but I'll get back there and it is just, it's something I eat. I know I eat something and it's just, it's something, it, it, it sucks having a sensitive stomach. It just sucks because everybody else in the house is fine and I know it's something I eat and even though we all ate the same crap, I know it's something I eat. So uh, anyways, yeah, thanks so much for listening. 
Um, I will make sure I maintain this podcast as well as humanly possible. And I do intend on the next time that we have a meetup, I think we should do a podcast uh, either before or after said meetup where we all sit around and talk about hockey for about half an hour, Uh, especially since that'll be right before the July 1st free agency. So, you know, something fun, roundtable kind of thing. And I am going to reach out to the Dead Deads about the fact that I had asked them to be on this podcast months ago and they had agreed, but I want to make sure I go over it with them again and make sure they're still interested and let them know I'm still interested. So there you go. Uh, Update from me. Thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.